0: Good evening, Lake Church. It is so good to see you all tonight. I love your smiling faces, by the way. Welcome to those that are online watching as well. We're glad that you could be with us here tonight. Uh, If you have a minute, please take out your phones. Go ahead and like the service, and then go ahead and share it so that we can get more people out there watching and hearing the Word of God. Hallelujah. What a beautiful evening that it is, and we have a lot that's going to be going on here in just the next coming weeks. Uh, first we have these coming up. It's the cross-eyed and hear and be healed USBs. Yes. And they're available and you can go out and pick them up in the bookstore if you like. And I want to encourage you to do these And get these and listen to them several times because, you know, faith cometh by hearing. We're not going to remember everything we hear the first time that we hear it. So I just encourage you to take these, meditate on them and tear them apart and study them and learn them and let them get inside of you and bring that revelation. So if you want to go out to the bookstore, those are now available. Good gifts for anyone as well. So whatever might be going on. Also, uh, this weekend we have coming up, Friday night, Saturday night, is the Missions fundraiser. It's going to be uh, a lighthearted comedy this time, with a meal that will go with it. And tickets are $30 each. And you can get those tickets out in the comments. And I tell you what, it's always a lot of fun when I go and I sit at the table with people and we visit and we giggle and we laugh. And we always leave having a good time. And I love watching the show and all the energy and effort that they put into that for Missions. What a blessing it is to my Heart. So I want to encourage you as well. If you can make it, I can't think of a better way to spend a Friday night or a Saturday night than just enjoying the company of our family here at Lake Church and cheering each other on because that takes a lot of work. Also, we have coming up the Greater Grace Women's Adventure. And that will be Thursday and Friday, March 30th and 31st. The cost is $25. Shirts are available to pre-order for $15, and they're available until March the 19th. Um, You can register at at, uh, uh, lake-church.com or on the app or even on the invitation on on facebook for the greater event so if you will look for that and the guest speaker is going to be sweet melanie clay so you guys will want to come because she's just precious and i know she's going to have so much to impart into our lives you will not want to miss it um it the doors open at 6, but the actual event will begin at 7 p.m. There is also more information on that out in the commons. If you uh, do need to look at more specifics, there is a little information sheet out there as well. Now, hallelujah, we're going to transition into our giving here real quick. So there are several ways that you can give on the seat back. You can give at lake-church.com. You can also give on the app or you can text to give. If you've never used the app, the information is available out in the commons as well. That'll take you right through it. All of those ways are very easy to give and very quick. Whatever works for you, you can just prepare however, whenever, and, and go ahead and give that way. So there are several different ways that you can give with that and i just want to remind you that when we give that we are building into the kingdom of God. You know, pastor, just talked to us this last Sunday about not being deceived. And I believe that the devil would like to come in and make us think that we could use our money more effectively in the natural. Look at what we need. Look at our bills. Look at these (laughs) things that are pressing in on us. But we don't want to be deceived because when we sow into the kingdom of God, lives are changed eternally. And that's where we want our reward to be is in eternal things that are everlasting. So don't be deceived by that and just purpose in your heart that you're going to be a giver. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then you can get ready to give. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you right now for this opportunity to give again tonight into your kingdom, Lord. We thank you that as we give, lives are changed. We thank you for those that are saved and filled with the Spirit and all the lives that are being touched because we're doers of the Word. Father, we thank you that as we sow into the kingdom, that the kingdom principles must multiply into our lives. And so we thank you for it, Lord, right now. And we praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: All right, God is good. Amen. I don't like these. I'll just tell you that right now. I absolutely hate them. Okay? I'm a handy kind of guy, okay? So we're going to be starting our Ephesians verse-by-verse Bible study here tonight. And uh, we're going to take the book of Ephesians, and we're going to go verse-by-verse. Now, this is very different than a Sunday morning or even a typical Wednesday night that we've had before in the sense that it'll have a certain pace to it that you may not be used to. So it's going to be more of a teaching pace than a preaching pace. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I won't get excited about things that God is showing, and, and I may go off on a tangent, but the main desire is to get you in your Bible, And so I'm encouraging you to bring your physical Bible with you. Bring your physical Bible with you. Because as we go through this verse-by-verse study, you're going to begin to get the tools necessary to study the Word for yourself. And that's really the goal, is to give you an appetite to want to know these things for yourself, because the tools are plenteous to be able to study the Word of God these days. Back when I first started, they didn't have apps, and they didn't have, you had these big old huge books that you had to look through. Now you can look through apps. You can study the uh, original language. This is important because the inspired Word of God is written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Greek. So you're going to have to understand that what you hold in your hand is a translation. And all of the translations have problems in them. Haven't found not one that doesn't have a problem or a bias to it. Nothing wrong with saying that. Don't be upset with me for saying that. That's why you need to study it in the original language. And so we're going to take several key words from verses, and we're going to look at them in the original language, and, and then we're going to do a lot of going back and forth in the Scripture. So we're going to not just be in Ephesians, but tonight, because we're doing an introduction, we're going to study the Apostle Paul. We're going to study about Ephesus. We're going to study about various things, that pertain to the book because when you study a book, you need to understand the whole context of the book. And one uh, tool that helped me, although we are reading many books on it and have read many books on it, is uh, Pastor Bob Yanyan's New Testament Commentary on Ephesians. Now, this is what we use in our Bible school at Train Bible College. And it is good stuff. And so a lot of the material that you'll be hearing tonight will come from Pastor Bob. I'm grateful for his ministry. Amen? And so we're going to look at different translations. We're going to look at all kinds of different things. And we're going to get a full, well-rounded view of the book of Ephesians. So it's a little bit, you know, I'm going to try to get you out of here by 9 o'clock. No, I'm just kidding going to work to get you out at 8 o'clock, okay, so I'm going to to make that a declaration by faith that 8 o'clock we're going to shut down wherever we're at so that it'll be enjoyable to you and you can, you know, you'll want to come back, amen, okay, so I can tell you right now we're not going to get very far because this, this is explosive scriptures right now, explosive. And so we're going to start with verse 1 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 1. Let me give you a setup. This book was written around eighty sixty 60 to eighty sixty 62. It is one of the Apostle Paul's prison epistles. Now, this was written by the, in the Mamertine prison, and it was written alongside Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, okay? So he wrote these in prison during his imprisonment, okay? So um, one of the things that we have to understand in the breakdown of the book is that the first three chapters are all positional truths in Christ. In fact, the first three chapters are some of the most dense theological doctrinal statements that you'll ever hear throughout the New Testament. I think Romans, which is basically Paul's entire message that he spoke in the Gentile world and when he put it in a different form in the book of Hebrews, because I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, so he usually starts off with high doctrinal theological truths, positional truths. So the first three chapters are going to be positional truths. And they represent the triunity of God. Because in chapter 1, we see that it's God the Father that he's talking about. In chapter 2, he talks about Jesus Christ the Son. And in chapter 3, he talks about the Holy Spirit. And so you begin to see him address all of the persons of the Godhead and their roles and functions. Because we need to uh, get a revelation that it's God who plans, Jesus who executes, and the Holy Spirit who reveals. And that is consistent in any doctrine or anything that you begin to see the triunity of God in operation you're going to see that God is always the planner. God always brings the plan. But it's Jesus the Son, the Word of God, who executes that plan. Amen? And the Holy Spirit comes to reveal that plan to us. Amen? Amen. And so in the book of Ephesians, you're going to see major, major mountaintop views of who you are In Christ, positionally. And then in the last three chapters, he begins to deal with practical application of that truth. And uh, Ephesus was what they would call the gateway to Asia. It was a port city. It was one of the most wealthiest. It was the top four cities in the Roman Empire. It was extremely affluent extremely wealthy. Uh, It was based in the uh, uh, several pagan gods and pagan temples were in and throughout Ephesus, but the one that was generally, the one that was celebrated and was known as a wonder of the world is the temple of Diana or the temple of Artemis. Artemis is just simply the Asian name and Diana is the Greek name but it's the same goddess, and this was the goddess of fertility. So the way they worshiped Diana in the temple is they had orgies. Now, we're not going to do any of that here, okay? But that's what they would do. That's how they would celebrate and, and worship Diana is through sexual licentiousness. And the fact is, is that when the Apostle Paul and Priscilla and Aquila got off the boat and entered into Ephesus, they entered into a culture where they believed that sex was God. Does it sound familiar? See, there's nothing new under the sun. And in fact, some of the pagan cultures in in a- Asia Minor and throughout what is known as Europe today, operated in things that we haven't even seen yet today, but we're going to see them. We're going to see them because everything goes around in a cycle, okay? So we're going to be looking at this epistle, and uh, we're going to study the history. We're going to study the Apostle Paul because this, this is powerful, loaded stuff, Amen. And so let's pray. Father, we just give you praise. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who will lead and guide us into all truth and show us things to come. And we thank you, Father God, that you're here and that you're speaking into our lives, enriching our lives with your word. And I thank you that it will be health and healing to each person here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, everybody say Paul, 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 an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's all I'm going to tackle here tonight is these. And you might say, well, that doesn't really say much. Yes, it does. It says a whole lot. And the first name that is mentioned at the start of this letter carries a lot of weight. Because when he says Paul, there is a weightiness to this letter. Because this isn't just anyone writing a letter. This is Paul. Now, Paul was originally called Saul. And we'll find that out as we begin to um, look in the book of Acts. He was named after the first king of Israel. Paul himself was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was Saul's tribe. And it was the smallest of all of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he prided himself on being named After the first king of Israel. But when Jesus came into his life, the Saul that was named after the king of Israel became Paul through transformation. And the word Paul or the name Paul means small or little. That's what it means. So here you go from this grandiose name that your grandparents probably picked out and your parents picked out. And I'm telling you, Jewish tradition, they pride themselves on their names. And he, they name him Saul after the first king of Israel. And I'm telling you, you know, we've got the uh, Old Testament to read. And we've got the Old Testament history to read. And we see how Saul missed it on many occasions. But, you know, to, to Jewish culture, they still see him as a hero. They still see him as someone that uh, was the first king and, and should be revered and, and, and venerated. And Saul felt the same way. But when Jesus met him and transformed his life, he knew that in order to do what he was called to do, he couldn't do it as Saul of Tarsus. And you can't do it. Hello? So he goes on and he says, Paul... An apostle. Now, this is an interesting, an interesting title here. Paul, an apostle. Here he begins to share with you that I am little and I am small. And then he classifies himself with the highest office in the kingdom of God. Other than, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Yeah, come on. So, that shows you that although on the outward appearance we are little and small, in the spirit we are large and in charge. See, you need to understand that he understood what a lot of people in the kingdom of God don't understand, is that in order to allow the greatness that's on the inside of you, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified, You're going to have to see yourself little, and you're going to have to see yourself as small. So he said, you know what? I have to have an attitude in this life that I am humble, but I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do, and what God has on the inside of me is bigger than my diminutive stature in this life. And compared to the principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, compared to the angelic host created by Almighty God, we are low on the creative ladder. But because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have ascended to the highest level of authority because we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. But I'm here to tell you that principle that is going to be outlined in this first chapter is is something that we need to understand is within us and upon us and around us. But we should conduct ourselves in a humility and not in arrogance over who we are and what we have in Christ. Oh, so many people blow this on this. They don't really understand this, and in fact, many times in Paul's epistles, he'll say, "Paul, a servant, yes. a servant, doulos." It means a it means a bond slave, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And you've got to understand that that you know these are gifts that God has given you. These aren't something that you earned. This isn't something you were born with per se. This is something that was gifted to you. And so you need to operate as someone who received a gift. And all, you know, when someone receives a gift, what's their life filled with? Thanksgiving. That's that's all it is. It's not, look at me. Look what I do. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I, didn't I get used real good last night? Didn't I? No. Hello? I'm telling you, there's people that get used in the realm of prophecy or they'll get used and then their head just swells to ginormous proportions. Or God uses them and praying for somebody and they get healed or something. and All of a sudden, they've got this old, they have to have a cart to carry their head in because it's so big. I'm telling you, that's not the attitude of someone that's going to be used by God. Someone who's going to be used by God is to not think much of ourselves. Hello. But allow the bigness of Christ to begin to manifest in our lives and give him glory. Because that's what it's supposed to do is to give him glory. So we've got to study this small, this little guy who wasn't when he first started. He was arrogant and brash. He was zealous. He even called himself a ravenous beast when he persecuted the church. He called himself that. If you look at the original language, and we'll look at that here in just a moment. But let's study who Paul was. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Because it's important to understand and get the history of who wrote it. And who is writing the letter and his history. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. And starting with verse number one, now this is right after Stephen, who has been drug out before the council and is about to be judged by the Sanhedrin, and he gives that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sermon on Jesus Christ and uh, how he is the Messiah And it says they gnashed at him with their teeth, and they threw him, and they're preparing to stone him. And they set their garments, they took off their cloaks, and they put them at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. So Saul of Tarsus was right there. He saw it all happen, and he was in agreement. He was in absolute agreement with the stoning of Stephen. And it says in verse number 1 of chapter 8, it says, and Saul approved of of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, we have to understand that when Jesus came in and the transformation began to happen, and the church was born on the day of Pentecost, that they were Jewish believers that had received Christ. And so, as was their custom was, they would go to the synagogue. They would go to their synagogues, and they would proclaim Christ. And so, for a very short season... Christianity was a sect of Judaism. It was actually, you know, in the same place, in the same playing field. Well, as they began to proclaim that Jesus was the Mashiach, he was the Messiah, it began to get rubbed, the Jewish leaders, the wrong way. They did not want to hear this, and so there was tension that began to happen, and they were cast out of their synagogues, and they began to meet at various different places and homes and things of that nature. And then all of a sudden, Stephen gets thrown into the tumult of the religious rulers of the day, and his death incites a persecution to where the church now has to separate itself out of Judaism. It's no longer a sect of Judaism. It actually has to... And that was God's uh, idea all along. He wanted it to be separate. But we, being fallible human beings always try to mix things and thought, can't we all just get along kind of mindset? And it wasn't working. They persecuted the church and they caused a division and a persecution. Now notice what happened. It says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So that shows you some of the history of the Apostle Paul. Let's look over at uh, uh, chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse number 1. Chapter 9, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats, and murder hello he was a murderer he even declares himself that he was a murderer so if God can use Paul he can use you amen people get all upset well you have to be perfect to serve God well that wasn't the case Wasn't the case at all. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to, notice it uses the word, the way. And that's really what they went by. That's what the first Christians went by. They were followers of the way. And who called himself the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So <clears throat> they called themselves people of the way, are disciples of the way. Amen? And he said if he found anybody that was in that way, men or women. Now, that's, that's something, not just men. Women as well, Okay? he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So here he sees the Shekinah glory of God, which he understands what that Shekinah glory is because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a a, a devout Jew, studied under Gamaliel, was exceedingly zealous over the tradition of his fathers. He understood the Shekinah glory, but within that Shekinah glory was the form of a man. And this man speaks out from that Shekinah glory, and he says, Saul, Saul why are you persecuting my believers? Is that what he said? Why are you persecuting my people? Is that what he said? No, he said, why are you persecuting me? So that gives us insight immediately at the union that you and I have with Christ. Christ takes it personally When the enemy persecutes you and torments you. Oh, you didn't get that. You've got to get a hold of this stuff. You are one with him. And that when the devil picks a fight with you, he picks a fight with the Lord. Amen. And he tells Saul, he says, why are you persecuting me? Now, notice this is Saul's born again experience. He says, and he said, who are you? Lord, okay? So he immediately recognizes, because how do he recognize Shekinah glory? The Shekinah glory that came down and, and visited Moses and talked with Moses, the Shekinah glory. He understood that. He said, who are you, Lord? And notice what, what the master says. He says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Okay? Notice that. So here he is. He's, he's down on the ground. He sees the Shekinah glory of God. He recognizes that it is God, Yahweh. A man is in the middle of the Shekinah glory of God. He speaks to him. And he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Yeshua. I'm the one you're persecuting. Now, King James says, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Now, the ESV doesn't put that colorful language in there. But basically, he's saying, you're going the wrong direction, and you're moving in the wrong way. He says, get up. Uh, And uh, rise up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, um, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, And neither ate nor drank. So here you have someone who thinks that he sees. He thinks he sees so well that he would point his finger in condemnation to others. He thought he saw so well and that he was so right with God that he could condemn others to death and to prison. That's the reason why he was blinded is because he was truly blind in his religious fervor and in his religious indoctrination that Jesus blinded him with his glory so that he would sit for three days and he would fast and pray, not knowing what his future held. He was blinded so that he could eventually see. Because what he was seeing before wasn't the truth. What he was seeing before was not the truth. But now Jesus has blinded him so that he could see what is real in the world. And he does the same thing to us. You know, we had eyesight before. We thought we were living the life. We thought we were making the way our eyesight was on material possessions on achievements on all anything else and then jesus comes into our lives and blinds us to those things and we begin to see the true meaning of life amen hallelujah notice what it says here it says now there was a disciple at damascus named ananias now ananias was not an apostle Ananias wasn't even a preacher. Ananias wasn't even a prophet. Ananias was just like any one of us, just a normal disciple that prayed and sought the Lord. Amen? Amen. God can use anybody. Amen? And it says, he, uh, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. That's what you need to say when the Lord shows up. Don't be saying, well, Maybe. Lord, is that you? Or get thee behind me, Satan. Whatever you say, you need to say, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. I'd be praying too if I didn't have sight. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hand on him so that he might regain his sight. Amen? But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. (coughs) So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hand on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So here we see the conversion of Saul. That's a dramatic conversion. I didn't have a conversion experience like that, did you? It was dramatic. But notice (coughs) that... He was chosen by God as a chosen vessel, okay? Now, I want you to take that phrase and and underline that. He is a chosen (coughs) vessel unto me. This is where I believe the Apostle Paul was called to be an apostle right here, okay? Okay? The apostolic calling came on him because he says this, he says he's going to go to the Gentiles, he's going to go to kings, and he's going to go to his own countrymen, okay? So apostle or apostolus in the Greek in its simplest form is a sent one. So we see immediately that he was called into that apostleship right there that the minute he received Christ the apostles equipment came on the inside of him amen and that's true for any ministry gift when you get born again that ministry gift is deposited in to your spirit and it is there in all its fullness however it's not it's got to manifest itself on the outside through a process Because God's gifts are fully loaded, decked out, and ready to go. But it requires discipline and devotion to cause those things to be a reality in our lives. And so the Apostle Paul had to go through a process of bringing that apostolic gift out. Because he didn't immediately go out and become an apostle. Amen. I tell you what, Amen. the word "apostolus" uh, in the Greek is is a Phoenician naval term, and it means uh, it is equivalent to an admiral in our navy. And an admiral is an admiral over a fleet of ships. So here is what this apostolic anointing that came into his life, this apostolic gift that came into him is so big, and that's the reason why he could say, I little and small, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying, guess what? There's something way bigger on the inside of me than what's going on on the outside. And the apostolic anointing is an anointing that can go into places that God calls that person to go, and they are equipped spiritually to bring about transformation and total change of culture just simply by the ministry gift that's on the inside of them. They can change infrastructure. They can change society. They can change culture. They come in with the powerful gift of being able to bring a fleet of ships, a fleet of emissaries from heaven to bring about transformation and change in an entire nation of the world. That's what an apostle can do. An apostle can do that. An apostle can tap into all of the other four ministry gifts, depending on what's needed at the time. The apostle can tap into the teacher, he can tap into the pastor, he can tap into the evangelist, and he can tap into the prophetic, he can tap into the prophet. Whatever is needed at the time, the apostle is able to manifest that as the spirit wills to bring about transformation and change in a nation and in a, in a, in a group of people. And this is a tremendous gift. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians twelve twenty eight. It says, and firstly, apostles, secondarily, prophets. Now, the reason why he's numbering them is he's showing you the importance of them. That the apostle is the most important of the fivefold ministry gifts listed in Ephesians chapter 4. And it, it's a gifting that is so powerful and so wonderful that it creates infrastructure. It creates civilization. It changes the course of nations. In every place that he went in the book of Acts, and we'll see this as he goes into Ephesus. That anointing and that just him and two other companions caused an entire city to be turned right side up. Because it was upside down. Amen. And, in fact, the people, you know, in Thessalonica, when he went to Thessalonica, they said, you know what? These same people that have turned the world upside down, they're here also. Well, they were really turning the world right side up. Amen? But I'm here to tell you that apostolic anointing will transform. I mean, I'm telling you that anointing is so strong, that that gifting is so strong. See, Jesus is called the apostle and high priest of our profession. Do you think Jesus did some changing? Yeah. Do you think Jesus caused some things to happen? Absolutely he did. He was able to walk in and change an entire culture and change civilization. He took the rule and reign of all of the false gods, of all <coughs> of those you know, deities that were controlling human existence, and through his death, burial, and resurrection, he stripped them, And, oh, praise God, hallelujah, and annihilate them, destroyed them to where the gospel could go forth. And that's exactly what the apostle anointing will do. Now, I've seen the apostles in the modern day. In modern day, I I see (coughs) because these gifts continue even on to today. They didn't pass away. They are still active today. And we had an apostle in the house just in January, the last of January. We had Rick Renner in the house, and that's certainly apostle. He went to the uh, Soviet Union uh, right after the wall fell, right after that, you know, uh, the Berlin Wall fell, and, you know, it was opened up, and the death of communism, so to speak. He went there, and um, he began to create infrastructures, I mean, entire... Ways of of being able to take in the gospel. Amen? You see that. See, people who call themselves apostles and have no one following them or have no work that they can point to and say, this is what we've done and this is what we've done, they're not apostles. Hello? I don't care if Kinko's made those cards for you. Just because you put apostle in the front of your name doesn't make you an apostle. And first off, an apostle is not a title. It's a function. Amen? It's a function. In fact, all fivefold uh, ministry gifts are functions. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so here you have the apostle Paul that's got this gifting, this apostolic gifting on the inside of him, that when he shows up into a city, the anointing is so strong on his life, the calling is so strong on his life, that even though he can't personally do everything, that anointing draws resources and people to him. Amen? And that's what an apostolic anointing will do it'll cause people to come and hook up with you. It'll cause resources to happen. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. It's still active today. Yes. Praise God, still active today yes. and still in operation. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's let's study a little bit more about the apostle Paul. Let's uh, go to Galatians chapter 1. This is an introduction We're going to cook with gas every time we get together. Amen? Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 11. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we understand that when the Apostle Paul had the Damascus Road experience, was prayed for by Ananias, was filled with the Spirit, he went and began to preach in synagogues immediately. But it was only until he met a man by the name of Barnabas because he was preaching in these synagogues and people were scared of him. They were scared. They were afraid he was... Pulling wool over their eyes. And and so Barnabas comes and takes him under his wing. Now, if the Apostle Paul, listen to me, preachers and teachers, if the Apostle Paul needed a Barnabas, you need a Barnabas. I tell you what, there's a Lone Ranger spirit in the church that's trying to happen. People saying, well, I can just do ministry on my own, and I don't need anybody, and, and I'll just go start something, and it'll just start because God wants it to happen. does isn't the way it worked. There's not anybody that's more gifted than the Apostle Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, established major churches in Asia Minor and in Greece, and went out to do the entire 70 nations that were at the Tower Bible. I mean, this man had it going on. And he needed a Barnabas. Was Barnabas on the same level as the Apostle Paul? No, he was not. He was not. The Apostle Paul was trained explicitly as a Jew, as a as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, so he could unveil the scriptures. Once his eyes were open and he began to see, he was able to interpret the Old Testament in ways they had never heard before. Not even Peter. Peter even said some of the things that he writes are hard to understand. He's, he, he talks to them. And he walked with the Lord. The apostle Paul saw things that Peter didn't see. He was able to interpret and open the Old Testament because that's all they had. They didn't have Ephesians. They didn't have Colossians. They didn't have 1 and 2 Corinthians. They didn't have Romans. He had to use the Old Testament, the Psalms, and the prophets to be able to expound and show that Jesus was the Christ, to unveil spiritual truths, to reveal the union that you and I have in Christ Jesus, and to see the x-ray view of what happened on the cross. No one was more articulate, no one was more, uh, uh, could explain better than the Apostle Paul. But yet the Apostle Paul had to submit to a process to become who he was called to become. It didn't just go right out there. In fact, most Bible expositors will tell you that it took him 16 years from the Damascus Road experience until he went out on his first missionary journey. 16 years people think i'll just get quick i'll hear a sermon at a, at a you know and get up and go i remember in the baptist church they'd baptize you and give you quarterly as you came up can you teach a class hello there's lot lots of lots of times people are put in positions the gifting's there the gifting's there Because once the Spirit of God comes on the inside of you and you're born again, all the equipment's there. But there's a process of activation. There's a process of discovery. There's a process that God puts us through to get us to where we need to be. And I'm telling you, I don't care if you've been in the church 20, 30 years. If you haven't cooperated with that process, you need to get with it. Hello? Yeah. Well, I've been here for 20, 30 years and yeah. ain't done anything the Lord told me. that. Well, are you in process? Yeah. Do you have a Barnabas? Because that's what I'm finding. There ain't no Barnabas. Yeah. Say, who who you following? Who are you accountable to? Who you, you know, uh, who's ministering and speaking into your life? Well. The Lord. <laughs> 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 Wrong. Wrong. Hello. Because you know what? We have a habit of making Jesus in our own image. And we make Jesus say what we want him to say. And we believe Jesus believes like we believe. And that's the reason why you need somebody in your life like a Barnabas. And Barnabas takes him under his wing. And they start serving in the church of Antioch. The apostle Paul... Two thirds of the New Testament serving. And he wasn't serving as an apostle either. He was serving as a teacher. You want want me to prove it to you? Acts the thirteenth chapter. Turn over there. Acts thirteen. Acts thirteen and verse number one. And there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And he says, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they were ministering to the Lord and fasted, so this wasn't just one meeting. This wasn't just, you know, one setting. They actually... Uh, you know, you can't fast just in five minutes. As a minister to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate. See, you can be called and not separated. In fact, I believe it's Romans 1, 1 It says, the Apostle Paul called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God or whatever. Uh, there's a calling, and then there's a separation. And there are people that want to separate themselves. They just want to say, well, I'm ready. I'm ready because I know what the Lord's told me. And guess what? There's a lot of need out there, and you can be motivated by need. But you have to understand that God is not a microwave cooker. God is a crock pot cooker, and it's low, low. He's even got a lower setting than your crock pot does. He'll low it and turn it down, and it'll seem like forever. It'll seem like absolutely forever and ever, and you're just cooking, and you're just cooking. And those juices are all around you. And you say, surely I'm tasty enough. Surely I smell good enough. Surely he's going to open that lid and he's going to spoon me out and feed me to the world. Surely. And then it just keeps cooking. It just keeps cooking. It just keeps cooking. But we need to understand that the Apostle Paul's ministry wasn't a long ministry. It wasn't, year, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It was a short burst before he was beheaded for his witness. It was a short burst in his life. And, in fact, you could even say that he was somewhat older in his life when he received the call. So that tells you this. And no matter what age you are, No matter where you're at or what demographic you come from, God is still a slow cooker. Amen? There's people in their 50s saying, I wish God would get this over with. Well, no. You need to wait on the Lord. You need to let God do his work in your life because there'll be a quick work that he'll do in your life that will transform and change people's lives. If you'll cooperate with this process. Amen? Amen. We saw in Galatians that the Apostle Paul actually went away and he went into Arabia. And he was having visitations with Jesus himself. He said, I received this a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared to the apostle Paul and revealed to him. The seven major mysteries of the church. These were things that he had to take in. These are things that he had to look through the scrolls. He had to look through the scriptures. And Jesus explained these things to him. He even was translated even to the third heaven and received information that he could not articulate or bring forth. but yet he still had to have a Barnabas. Yet he still had to serve in the church. I Guess what? I bet you he mopped the floor. I bet you he stacked chairs. I bet you he mowed the grass. They don't have much grass there, but he probably mowed the grass. He did whatever it took to cooperate with the plan of God. And if there's something that I see, and I'm not talking about the young generation, I'm talking about all generations, there's anything that I see in the church today is an is a is a they don't want to get into the process. <clears throat> Listen, if your name was at the front of Ephesus, would it hold the weight? Because when he puts the word His name, Paul, at the start of that letter. Everybody in Asia Minor knew exactly who was writing that letter. They knew his story. They knew his anointing. They knew his labor of love. They understood it. But yet, many, they want their name on a letter. They want their name on a book. They want their name on a pulpit. They want their name on a church sign. Yet there's no weight whatsoever to it. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to give that weight to your life. And it comes through process. The Holy Ghost talks about dedication. The Holy Spirit talks about faithfulness. The Holy Spirit talks about submission. The Holy Spirit talks about service. The Holy Spirit talks about <coughs> sacrifice. But yet, that's not taught in our, in our churches today. That's not taught. The Apostle Paul dedicated his life to pursuing Jesus. Amen? And that's why he could say, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I told you I'd get you out by eight. And I am. Amen. I tell you what, we've got some good stuff. Amen. You've got to, you got to understand this. Verse by verse study, we go through the entire, you know, verse and words and everything. And uh, we're just going to overturn every stone and every rock and look under every bush Amen? Amen. Now, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, or you're here and you need something from God tonight, we have ministers that are going to be up front here after I close the service, and you can come up and get prayer for anything you might need. Amen? Now, we also have a special need. One of our members, Shirley Durazo's mother, passed away. And she's going to be having a, a memorial service in Tulsa, I believe. Um, but they, uh, they need help with a meal, with a family meal. Now, if you can assist with that by cooking something, by buying something that will assist the family in this time of, of grief and transition, uh, I believe Miss Rebecca will be out there ready to take. There's a list that you can sign. And, of course, it's Friday, 2 o'clock. I don't don't know if the meal is at noon or it's at 4. So she'll tell you where to bring the food and what to do. And I just believe it's important for us to show our support for one of our members that has lost their mother. Amen. And so if you can do that, Ms. Rebecca will be out there uh, to take your name down and to give you the information necessary. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How many liked the Deception series? Are we okay? Nobody left? All right. Well, we'll have some more of that on Sunday. And uh, praise the Lord. God is taking us on a journey. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.